John, who's writing there on the island of Patmos to the church that is being persecuted. And here is what he writes in this vision. He says this, After this I looked, and there in heaven a door stood open. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there in heaven stood a throne with one seated on the throne. And the one seated there looks like jasper and carnelian, and around the throne is a rainbow that looks like an emerald. And around the throne are 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones are 24 elders dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their heads. Coming from the throne are flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne burn seven flaming torches, which are the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne there is something like a sea of glass, like crystal. Around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second creature like an ox, the third living creature with a face like a human face, and the fourth living creature like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and inside. Day and night, without ceasing, they sing, Holy, 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 the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall before the one who is seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, singing, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we come to you on this, the fourth and final Sunday of Advent. And we give you praise. We give you praise for voices that sing, for instrumentalists that play, for their gifts And we pray, Lord, that on this day, that those gifts would lift our hearts up into the heavens. And I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. Well, as I said, after now almost 12 months, a whole year of going through the New Testament, we have finally reached the final book of Revelation. And it does not disappoint. No, Revelation ends with this mysterious, apocryphal, revelatory bang. I mean, Revelation for the last 2,000 years has been a text which, quite frankly, has caused some to be excited, others to be perplexed, others to be fearful, others to be full of joy. It's a passage in which preachers, some of them, have become absolutely enamored by it, while others have wanted to run away from it like they would a seven-headed dragon, which comes in Revelation 12, if you're curious. It's a 
It's a book, as I've said before, that if someone comes up to you and says, hey, I understand all of Revelation, that you should run from them like you would run from a ten-horned dragon, which you can find in the 13th chapter of Revelation. It is a mystery of a book. Now, I do not have as much time as I typically do to kind of dive into it as much as I would like, so let's just kind of quickly go through at least what some of the symbolism seems to be in this passage. It begins, of course, with John having this vision, and there is a door that is opened, and he begins to see on the other side of that door, and what he begins to see are the heavens, or what is going on in the heavens, and as N.T. Wright points out, it's this great reminder to us of the fact that while we are here doing our work, while we see what we can see and hear what we can hear and touch what we can touch, at the exact same time, on the other side of the door to which we cannot often see, that the heavens are doing their own thing. The heavens, of course, are proclaiming. The heavens, of course, are worshiping. But these are things that our eyes often miss. We do not often get to see all the different ways in which God is working. As I was thinking about that door, I was reminded of the, the story that I've told you of that ZPCer who went on vacation. You remember that? The family of six. And they went in and they're, they're, they lived in this little apartment for six out of the seven days. You know, it had the little kitchenette. It had a little room, but by and large, they were kind of bottled up. It was okay, but it wasn't that great. And then it was on the last day, or, the, or the, the second from the last day, that one of their children finally discovered that there was a door that had been there. They'd known it, but that right on the other side of the door that they could have opened, on the other side of that door was a whole kitchen and a massive living room and all of this other space that they had been missing out on all week that was a part of their apartment, and yet they had settled for just living within this small little place where if they would have simply remembered or tried to push through that door, they could have seen where there was more joy, more life, more of everything. And I love that image for how often we live, which is that so often we just think, well, this is all there is, what we can see and hear and touch. And as Christians, we believe that there is something else going, not in the future, but even right now in God's kingdom for those of us who are willing to always remember and to look through the door. And so as he looks through and sees what's going on in the heavens, he finds, first of all, a throne. And the throne, of course, represents the presence of God. It's this great reminder, especially remember to a church that was suffering persecution and struggle and pain. It was this great reminder that even in the midst of that, God was still on the throne. And surrounding the throne were 24 Elders. We don't know for sure who these are. It could be. Some think that it's the 12 tribes of Israel combined with the 12 disciples of Jesus, that that adds up to 24. But there's also the sense that, that perhaps it simply reminds us that it is all of us. They represent all of us who have surrounded the throne. And what are they doing? They're casting their crowns at the throne. As Gordon Fee says, this is this great uh, reminder that even the most beautiful things that we have, the most beautiful gifts that we have, all of these are gifts from God. Our greatest talent, our greatest assets, everything that we have ultimately is a gift from the Almighty 
And so they're there, and they throw forward these crowns. And then he tells us there are these four beasts, and these beasts each have different faces. The face of a human, the face of an ox, the face of a lion, and the face of a flying eagle. Some think that, well, this is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel writers, while others would suggest, no, this is just simply the sense of all of creation, all of creation surrounding and giving praise to God. And on those are eyes all over the place, which is this reminder as well that there is no place on the earth, no place in God's creation where he does not see you, no matter where you may be, no matter if you would prefer to remain hidden, that God always sees whom he loves. Now, we could continue to dive into this even more and probably speculate even more on what's going on. But why don't we simply focus this morning on what we know for sure, which is that everything in this revelation, everything in this vision, the one thing that we know for sure is that they are all worshiping God. This passage at the end of the day is about worshiping God. All of them are worshiping God. All of them are proclaiming that God is holy. That he who was is the one who is and is the one who is to come. That he is worthy to receive all glory and honor and power. Why? Because he is the creator. It is this reminder to us again that when the door is open, that when we are worshiping, it is this intersection between what is going on in the heavens at all time and God's kingdom, which is worshiping God, and what is going on here. It is the place where heaven and earth meet. It's what the Celtic Christians would have called one of those thin places. And it is this opportunity that we have right here in this moment to stake a claim here. We say every Sunday, God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. When we are worshiping God, we are staking claim in this place saying, God's kingdom is coming to earth and is here even now as we proclaim our praise of God. But what is important to remember about worship is that it isn't just about what happens right here and right now. But rather, it is a training ground that is supposed to shape us into different people as we go out into the world. You see, worship, what we are doing right now, it begins to train our eyes so that we can begin to keep the door open as we go out and to see God. It begins to, to train our minds so that we can begin to remember that even in those darkest of times, that God is still on the throne. It is there to help to shape our hearts so that we can remember, so that we can be cultivated. Our love for God can grow even more. In other words, worship, as it said, is not just something that we do right here. It is a training ground. For us as we go out, now not everybody likes this notion of it being a training ground. That doesn't sound very exciting. We think that worship should just kind of bubble up. And you either have it or you don't. And if you don't have it and you're not feeling worshipful, well then maybe you should just not worship. Or, 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 or maybe there's just something wrong with you. But the reality is that worship is an incredibly intentional act. And if you're not worshiping God at any moment, what it oftentimes means is that you are worshiping something else. Remember what David Foster Wallace said, no Christian, more of an agnostic, if not an atheist. Remember what he said, we never have a choice as to whether or not we worship. We are always worshiping. The only question is, what is it that we are worshiping? 
And as he goes on to say, if you worship money, then you will always feel like you do not have enough. And you will always be looking for yet one more dollar in order to help you feel more at peace. If you worship your own beauty and what you look like, you will always begin to feel ugly because you will feel like you don't quite stack up. And as he says, as you begin to age, you will die a thousand deaths before you are finally planted. If you worship power, you will always feel like you don't quite have enough. And with all of your relationships, you will begin to manipulate them in order to curb their power so that you can have more power. If you worship your intelligence, he says, you will always be thinking that you are probably a fraud. You will always be comparing yourselves to others. And whenever you find someone who is smarter than you, and you always will, it will always cause more anxiety and insecurity. We worship, we are called to worship God. Only then will we find peace. This is what Eugene Peterson says. He says that if you have no center, and by that he means focus on God and centered on God, you have no circumference. Let me say it again. If you have no center, you have no circumference conference. What does that mean? It means that you will keep searching. You will keep trying to find this or that. Finding something that will help to cause you to have no more anxiety or pain or insecurity. You will keep searching and searching everywhere. You will have no circumference if you are not centered on God. Now there are lots of ways that we worship. But I only have one way to talk about this morning. And it seems appropriate which is that one of the greatest ways, of course, that we worship is by singing. Throughout Scripture, we see this, right? I mean, we have a whole book called Psalms, right, that talks about singing. Throughout Scripture, we see people like Miriam, who are singing Moses, who is singing David, who is singing Deborah, who is singing Jesus, who is singing Mary, sings Elizabeth, sings. The disciples sing. Paul sings. Silas sings. We see in the passage today, 24 elders sing. Four beasts sing. Everyone is singing. Singing has this remarkable ability to engage our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our strengths, as someone has said, to be able to have this emotional experience. It engages all of us and allows us to worship God in a remarkable way. We are called to sing, which is wonderful, except for this fact. We in the church in America today stink at singing. Now, not the choir. But in the church in America, including, I might suggest, Zionsville Presbyterian Church, we are not the greatest at singing. All you have to do is look around and see it on a Sunday morning, unmasked. Now, there are lots of theories about why that is, and I've heard lots of them, and they've been expressed to me, and there's some truth to, I'm sure, what everyone is saying. But I think at the root of this, if you were to ask me, I go back to the book by Andy Krauts called TechWise Family. has this fascinating chapter where he says this. He says, What's happened, by and large, of course, is that now we no longer have to create or produce music or singing on our own. We have all become, by and large, consumers. Why? Because all you have to do is say, Alexa, play Christmas music, and Alexa plays Christmas music, and it's wonderful. I've been listening to my Pandora station, uh, um, uh, the Vienna Boys Choir Holiday. I would highly recommend it. It's just, it's majestic. I listened to that for the last six or seven weeks, much to my family's chagrin. <laughs> and it's amazing. But there was a time, as Crouch says, and it wasn't that long ago, 
where if you said, hey, I want to hear some music, guess what? You better start doing it. People learned how to play the piano. They probably didn't play as well as Steve Whipke, but they played anyway. People had to play. There you are back there. There's a, uh, get an amen to Steve. Uh, they had to learn how to play the violin maybe, right, or, or do any of these things. But someone had to do it. It may not have been pretty, but you had to do it. And if not, if you wanted to actually hear voices, you had to sing. And in a generation, things have changed. I go to my family reunion for my mother and her old generation. They're, they're just singing, and they know all the songs, and it's wonderful, but we consume by and large, which means we don't actually practice it. And it's kind of like the difference between watching a marathon on television and actually training and running it. It can be fun. Most people don't think this. I enjoy watching a good marathon, especially the end. It can be really exciting. You have all the crowds. It's great. But you know what? It doesn't change. Me. The only way for me to change is for me to begin to get out there and actually start running. That's how you begin to be shaped differently. And if we want to be a people who worship and want to sing, we have to do more than just consume the beautiful sounds of worship. We have to begin to actually sing ourselves. And so this morning, I want to have one invitation for you. And that is to sing. That even if you think you have a cruddy voice, sing anyway. That even if you think the song is too fast, sing anyway. Even if you think the song is too slow, sing anyway. Even if you don't know what's going on because it's a four-part harmony and you don't even know what those four parts are and you have no idea how to sing it, sing anyway. Even if you think that they're just saying the same words again and again, the same five words, just repeating them a thousand times, sing anyway. Even if the song seems too loud and so you think, well, I can't sing. I mean, no one will even know it. Sing anyway. Even if it's too quiet and you think everyone will hear me, sing anyway. We'll see if they're actually doing that and paying attention at the second and third time. We do not sing for ourselves. We sing for the Almighty. And we sing not because we are in tune, but because of the fact that this act of singing helps us to grow in being in tune with God and with one another as sisters and brothers in Christ. And so we're going to sing here in just a few minutes, in just a one minute or less. <laughs> and I ask you to stand up and to sing. Remember those words, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Sing anyway. And may the door between earth and heaven remain open as God receives our Amen? Amen? Let us pray. God, we pray that you would help us to be a people who are centered on you. A people who are shaped by the ways in which we worship and by the ways in which we sing. And in so doing, God, will you receive all the glory and the power as our creator, the one from whom all blessings flow. Amen.